Blog Talk Radio. And welcome to another segment of Point Counterpoint. I was going to say I'm your host, John Hansen, but that wouldn't be entirely the, the complete picture because really, Kelly Barner, who's on the line with me now, is my co-host in this open-ended forum discussion. And, and I mean, Kelly, I mean, you'd agree that, you know, we did the uh, remote feed in Virginia last month and uh, you're coming in via Skype. I mean, it was almost like doing the radio show, wasn't it? It was a lot like it, although I think I have to disagree with the choice of word host. I think co-conspirator is probably a more appropriate choice of words given how our conversations usually go. See, I was warned about you. You're a troublemaker. <laughs> no, actually, it's the other way around. Which, by the way, we should tell the story one day because somebody came up to you and said, do you really want to really be associated with this guy, let alone writing a book with him? I mean, your name is forever emblazoned next to mine on that book, so there's no plausible deniability there. No, there isn't, and I forged ahead despite all the obvious warnings. <laughs> See, you know what? I think that's like that's like the thing, you know, stay away from the bad boy. Remember that Seinfeld episode? That's right. Where, uh, you know, George Costanza was uh, friends with Elaine's co-worker, and she was, had no interest in until Elaine warned her, he's a bad seed, stay away from him. And then as soon as she found out he was a good seed, it was all over. Anyway, I digress. Today's segment is going to be interesting because we're going to talk about the difference between uh, contract wins and uh, actually successful implementations. And, you know, they, they, I, you know, I have a bone to pick with this kind of uh, gibberish in relation to all these PR announcement press releases and, oh, we've won this contract with, 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 with no apparent follow-up whatsoever. But why don't we do this as we always do? I'll start off with you. In terms of contract wins where they're reported in the news and everyone goes, woohoo, parade down the street, yet there's absolutely no follow-up. And, and, and statistics show that you know it's as much as between 70 to 80, maybe more percent of all initiatives failed to achieve the expected results. And let's not assign blame on that. Uh, uh, it, it's like nobody's reporting it. So, you know, what's going on with that? What are your thoughts? So the way I would look at this, and, and this is actually something that harkens back to the, the other book I had written on supply market intel for procurement uh, with Jeanette Jones, and we talk about looking at every news resource or information resource, and before you take in the content, you need to understand the perspective and the motivation of the person who's written it. And so from the perspective of covering these contract wins versus actual results delivery, I think that procurement practitioners need to start conditioning themselves to think about there being three different kinds of content. So there's the content or the news updates that providers put out. And obviously that's the most marketing-oriented press release type, hooray, we, we got this deal. Then, of course, there's the practitioner side where I think there's a lot of room for growth in terms of practitioners or users of solutions speaking directly with each other about their results and experiences. But the third is investors. And, of course, not all solutions that we might be looking at are publicly traded. makes it easier when they are. But somebody's always putting money in. And so that provides a third source of information. 
And so I think it's important if you're someone that's trying to use information to make a decision to remember who wrote it, what was their natural motivation, and what are they trying to communicate in the news update. See, I'm a little less forgiving than that. I mean, I understand. I think there should always be a buyer beware type of uh, approach or mindset when you look at the information source. And that's not anything. You know, we've talked about this regarding our own blogs where we say, you know, we do good research. I don't know if that's good English, but okay. We, we, we're thorough in our research. And, and you know, what we write, uh, we, we, we check, double check, and triple check before we do it. But we even say with our own writing that you should take what we say, not with a grain of salt so much as you should filter it and come to your own decision about what we're saying. I, I think that's an important warning. But, but here's the problem I have is that you have so few voices out there who are actually honestly reporting on what's happening in the industry to the extent that no one knows when implementations go south. All they hear is all these successes. All they hear about is all these one contracts, but nobody looks at the tail end of that. And how could the industry, number one, be taken seriously uh, as, as a whole because nobody's scrutinizing this? Number two, how do we get better? How do we move beyond that? I mean, this, this perpetual high rate of failure, which is gradually shifting with the emergence of SaaS-based and the, the mystery of, of the, 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 the ERP implementations of old that spanned years, maybe decades, I'm, I'm exaggerating, of course, costing tens of millions of dollars. I mean, you know, I, I, I mean, the problem is, is that if we don't get honest reporting, if we don't get honest feedback uh, of, of, you know, not just when contracts are won, but follow up a year and two years down the road to find out whether or not they actually worked to the expectations, I mean, how can the industry get any better? Well, I think, unfortunately, the problem is more complicated than that because, sure, there's the issue of willingness to communicate or do the research or tell the hard truth or, or have an investigative effort. But if we try to think like, you know, good little procurement doobies and we think about this in a straightforward supply versus demand perspective, there's no question that there is demand. There's an appetite for real information about what is going on. There are just way too many organizations and individuals with a vested interest in knowing how these implementations actually went. The problem, I think, is on the supply end. And in that case, certainly there are absolutely providers that are going to be unwilling to share information about how things are going, concerned about how it makes them look as a provider and as an investment opportunity. But procurement is just as involved in this. There are many, many cases, even when it's good news about an implementation, that procurement and the organization they're a part of stonewall and say, no, even though it's happy news, you can't share this information. And so it's sort of a, it's a dual problem of, of who doesn't want to talk and why. Okay, but okay. Now let me let me put this thing there. I'm going to throw something into the, the little gasoline on the fire here. Is it not true though? that most of the blogs, most of the reporting mechanisms, I mean, the Gartners, you know, I've been critical of, the Aberdeens, uh, going back, they used to be, I forget who they were, Meta something, uh, which were acquired by Gartner. I mean, ultimately, it seems that the people who are supposed to be covering the industry have themselves a very strong tie or link to the very vendors they're supposed to be providing objective coverage on. I mean, let's face it, the majority of the mediums through which the, the industry is getting its information 
it doesn't take long. It's not, it's not to the extent of six degrees of Kevin Bacon, you know, where you have to dig too far. There is a tie-in to the to, to the vendor side of things. Now, it, 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 that's the luck of the draw. Maybe that vendors were the first to queue on. They, we got to have blogs and we got to do coverage and Gartner's serve the client. Let's face it, Gartner's clients aren't the public. They're the vendors, right? Right. So if you have the vendors and the and, and people who were working for the vendors now covering the industry, how can you expect any objectivity? Well, and I think it's a it's a difference between, you know, there are some blogs that are literally put out there by service providers. And then, of course, there are the blogs of the analyst firms that are sponsored by them. Um, and obviously this is something we covered at, at great length in, in procurement at a crossroads. And I can speak firsthand. I've actually been at a solution provider. I worked at mTaurus prior to the acquisition by IBM. And I remember having contact with the media or with authors at the time. And, of course, now at Buyer's Meeting Point, I have a sponsorship model. I'm working with service and solution providers within the industry all the time. Um, and, it, and it is a delicate balance, um, but I think it's a matter of making sure that your goal is always, at least the goal has to be a pure one. You have to be trying to bring some relevant story, some relevant piece of information to a procurement audience and not simply looking for the next way to bring in another buck. Okay, but here's the thing, and this is an interesting point, because, you know, staying in the focus of this, contract wins, which receive all this exposure, blogs post them, press releases. I mean, I hate press releases. Generally, I think they're a waste of time, honestly. I mean, no one's going to put a press release saying, hey, great news, that implement that contract we landed two years ago, well, guess what? It blew up in our face. It didn't work. Nobody's going to put out a press release like that. They're going to put out a press release saying, we won something. We, we landed a contract. Uh, I mean, the, the reality is, is how many people are willing to, to, to provide the kind of reporting that gives an honest appraisal of the industry, the good or bad. If there is a successful implementation, if there's an unsuccessful implementation, it, 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 it's like why is there so much front-end emphasis on landing the contract but not enough of saying how that actually turned out? I mean, wouldn't that be more beneficial? It would be. And, and I think, truthfully, it's, it's sort of a good news, bad news scenario that procurement stands to lose the most if our access to news and information on that front doesn't improve. That's maybe the, the tough love news. The, the good news is, we're also the solution because given how easy it is to network today through conferences, through associations, through LinkedIn, there is absolutely no reason why procurement professionals shouldn't be going directly to other procurement professionals to get this information. In a lot of cases, taking out the media and analyst firms as a middleman. All right. Well, wait a second. Though. Now, okay. Now, this is an interesting point, though. Um, you, you take out the analyst firms, and, and you know, let's let's di differentiate between analysts. There's the financial analysts, which are driven by stock price. And right. as you know, we've done research on this, where you know the financial analysts aren't exactly the most reliable, simply because the companies are covering; they don't want to rock the boat too much. Then you have the industry analysts, which are the Gartners and the Aberdeens, who have these vendors as customers. Uh, so there is that concentration there. There is that non-arm's-length interest there that draws everything in, in, into question. 
but outside of the parameters of those, I mean, I don't think there's too many, too many blogs, too many uh, publications or magazines that go into this. I mean, you know, supply chain management, you know, uh, where it lists the top uh, movers and shakers. And by the way, congratulations that you were one, I think, what is this, running two, three years in a row? Ah, uh, supply and demand chain exec. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So you never find any news stories there in that publication. It's always reporting on features, function, benefits, developments, industry, all this high level, but it's very antiseptic. Why wouldn't a publication like that, with the kind of reach they have, turn around and say, you know, we're going to cover some hard news stories? I mean, there, there's a blog, and I just it was, it, it was by chance, uh, there was a blog that I was looking at, a well-known blog. I won't mention it by name. Uh, but there's a well-known blog who, who has a chief editor, I found out, who worked with a company that does content management and SEO. Do you follow what I'm saying? It's I like, do. You know, it's, it's all contrived. It, it, and I'm not, just, you know, I'm not saying that that's always bad, but, you know, it, it's like, you know, shouldn't there be more focus in these publications on saying I'm going to get to the heart of the story? I'm going to publish something. I'm going to go after a story. I'm going to follow it. Just like the NIGP Codegate story. I mean, that surprised all of us that nobody picked up on it given its potential uh, and, 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 and very, very real impact. I mean, why, why didn't supply and demand chain executive assign somebody to cover that story? Are they are they are they are they a catalog magazine type of thing? What? No, not at all. And in fact, they have some fantastic articles, some of which definitely contain tough truths. I think it was maybe 18 months ago or so. I had written a, a post that you ran on for German Insights, where they talked about the very difficult realities of pulling out of manufacturing facilities overseas and what that actually means on the local level. So they definitely do have legitimate writers covering hard stories. I think specifically as it relates to contract wins and how implementations work out, you know, from their perspective, that may not necessarily be within their scope. But I truthfully have to think that more of that lies with the practitioner side firms that are unwilling to have these negative stories told. Now, obviously, the providers have a, a good reason to keep these stories under wraps as well. They don't bear the blame alone. Okay, okay. So what you're saying is, is the, the 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 vendors. I'll call them the vendors for simple sake. The 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 the, the, the providers. Uh, they they want to keep a lid on this stuff. So they only want the media to report when they have a contract win, because they're looking at increasing market share and making sales. They're not actually wanting somebody to report on their performance. Right, unless of course it's all happy news. Yeah, but, but you know, because well, they do want to share again, the happy let, news. But let, let's put it this way: if seventy, eighty percent plus of e-procurement initiatives go off the rail or fail to achieve the expected result, and that's not a number that I invented; that's a number that's been generally out there in the industry. I mean, you got a lot more unhappy people than you do happy people. So you know, you're not, you can't ignore. It's like it's right in your face. I mean, like, how do you, how, and it comes back to the question again, it, why do we, 
why do we publish these press releases? Why do publications allow it? Why do they bring up all these things? Why do they focus on features, functions, and benefits of particular software applications? And, and the reason I say this, because remember, I, I've been around since, you know, I'm, I'm familiar with the 8-inch floppies and when CPM preceded DOS and DOS preceded uh, Windows. And, you know, I mean, there was a certain amount of complexity to the basic four systems and, and, the, and, and, the, and the programming there, the D-based languages, and even getting into the early days of the ERP. But that complexity isn't there anymore. And, and you know, it, you're, you're likely to get as solid of a solution from, from an up-and-coming small, uh, smaller uh, cloud-based uh, supplier or, or provider as you are from a, from a long-time-standing ERP giant in a lot of ways. I mean, I don't know if you agree with that, but I don't think there's the complexity that exists today that did 10 years ago or 15 years ago in terms of technology. And so it, it, it's like, but they keep rehashing these things as if somehow the features, functions, and benefits are going to matter. I mean, you can go in any store and you buy a computer. If you buy a Dell or an HP or, or any type of computer, are you really going to, honestly, uh, other than positioning and branding, I mean, are you really going to make a bad decision? No, and, and I think that's an important point. I mean, I think especially with regard to the features and, and functionality, we are pretty darn close to a commoditized position for a lot of what procurement ends up using. You know, you can look at, like you said, some of the very large vendors. You can look at some of the relatively small new vendors. And at the end of the day, you know, your RFP is going to be an RFP. Some of the analytical capabilities are going to be good enough across the board to accomplish what you need. And so I think maybe those press releases continue to go out as a form of habit. Um, but I think at the end of the day, the technology itself plays a smaller role in the decision-making process of which solution you're going to select to work with. So what does play the role? And this maybe brings us back full circle. Isn't it, isn't it aren't you stressing the importance, and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, uh, but aren't you stressing the importance that if the technology itself isn't the deciding factor anymore? You know, it's like the old days of computers when everyone tried to have their proprietary systems. I mean, everything, we, we live in a plug-and-play world of convenience. So here's the thing. Wouldn't knowing where certain applications or implementations have gone off the rails and understanding why they've gone off the rails help in that decision-making process? I think that it would help, but if we sort of assume as fact this idea that most functionality is fine, I think what you're really trying to distinguish between and isn't even going to be covered in those press releases are the capabilities and the culture of the team on the vendor side that's looking to help you get through that implementation. And so it's their ability to help you navigate the change management or the technology side or whatever kind of integration has to be done. In some cases, it's going to be heavily reliant upon their project management skills or their knowledge within an industry vertical and sort of the nuances of how to be successful working in that area. I think it's the people that are critical. So while the press releases tend to go out, like you said, around the contract wins or the, the new functionality that's been added, you know, at the end of the day, it's a harder-to-capture piece that I think either influences or truthfully should influence more of these award decisions. Okay, now let me ask you this question, throw in another variable here. The up-and-coming generation next, the millennials, they're far more tech-savvy than, you know, their predecessors. 
They're not intimidated by technology. The technology is more convenient. We now have 724 access, mobile uh, supply chains, all of these aspects coming in. They're less likely to get bamboozled, aren't they, by press releases. And they're more going to be able to discern whether or not something is a, 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 a worthwhile solution, aren't they? Well, I think they're less likely to get bamboozled by a press release because they're never going to read them. And I think they're more likely to inform their own decisions by reaching out into their network than they are by going to what might traditionally have been considered an authoritative source. You know, I see regularly all over the place, you see the difference in people that are speaking on social media versus the people that are listening. And my sense is that as we move forward and millennials or the people around them that are more comfortable with technology move into these decision-making positions, there's going to be a lot more direct practitioner-to-practitioner contact because that fear of sharing, that fear of exchanging knowledge doesn't exist. And, in fact, they are inclined towards it based on building the strength of their own network, being recognized for their own knowledge, and being able to leverage the knowledge of others. Okay, so now here's the interesting thing then. And let's go back to all this because, you know, I think, we, I think what you just said is nobody's going to read these press releases anymore. It's more of a, an, uh, almost like an automated reaction or habit. It's a it's technicality. A habit. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Okay, we've got to do this as a habit. You know, it's like reading a resume. And I remember, you know, looking at that. And, and most people will say, well, yeah, what good is a resume? <laughs> because you're not going to put somebody in who doesn't like you, right? right. Uh, or, or even, you know, so, I, I mean, if you look at that, it's it's become diluted in terms of its value, these press releases. So let's call them useless. Now, doesn't that leave a gap in where the industry is being reported? If people aren't looking at press releases anymore, and if people are saying, look, the technology isn't so, you know, uh, complex that we need these detailed analysis and breakdowns. I mean, remember when you remember when I when I first bought a PC, uh, you know, it came with a, a four-page brochure listing the features, functions, and benefits and what it means. I mean, you don't need to even do that anymore. In fact, you know, it, it's it's a disposable society. I, and, and so, what's going to happen to these publications who are used to being the press release people or providing? What, what did you say? Use the term that authoritative figure. Is that what you said or source? Yeah, an authoritative source. Yeah, I think you know, just like we're seeing going on in the rest of procurement right now, there's a shift that's going to need to take place in the media sector. And I know, speaking for myself, and I don't know if this comes, you know, in part from the training I did to be a corporate librarian, or if it comes from the fact that. I only miss being counted as a millennial by, you know, two years. I would rather put myself in a gatekeeper position than someone who's actually in the stack holding the books that supposedly contain all the answers. I would never presume to be a person that has all the answers, that can look at a situation and instantly discern the truth. I would rather be the person that knows the people that, to talk to and the places to go for answers so that I can facilitate and help connect people. To me, that's where the influence opportunity is, not in being the one that has hoarded all of the information and you're forcing people to come to you to get it. See, that's the rock star image. That's the rock star image. You see, and I agree with you. I think what you have to do in the new media in this industry is, is you have to become a facilitator of information, not the discerner of it necessarily. 
different opinion, of course, but the facilitator of information that you empower, whether it be a listener or a reader or viewer, to be able to get as much facts as they can so that they can make an intelligent and informed decision for themselves. You, you know, I, I think that, that and maybe this is a change that, that you're talking about because the, the authoritative source, 10 years ago, people would automatically defer. You know, the old saying, no one ever got fired for buying IBM, uh, you know, and, and, and the genuflecting at, 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 at the altar of these, these supposed uh, knowledge sources. I think now because there is accessibility, do your own research, that there is the ability to feel more comfortable with technology, that the, 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 the illusion that somehow the, 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 uh, the uh, providers have it all figured out. I think those, those have all you know, come into a factor of where people are not looking for somebody to tell them what to do. They're looking to them to add to what they already know so that they can make better decisions. I think that's the key thing, isn't it? I think it is too, and I think the key shift in being able to effectively work that gate is that you need to consume just as much content as you distribute. So you're no longer functioning in a vacuum. You're no longer appointing yourself and saying, I am the authoritative source, and so I will put together content, and I will push it out, and everyone will read it, and that will establish things. You're saying, no, I need to pull in information from a diverse range of sources I need to read people who disagree with each other. I need to read people who disagree with me. And I do need to have my own opinions, and I need to have a a position I'm willing to stake out and and be able to defend it. But you need to be open to functioning in this world where there's all these different ideas so that if someone says to you, I need to learn more about this solution, this process, this category, you want to be able to say in return, okay, these two people have taken completely opposing positions, you really ought to read them both. So, 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 what you're really saying is, is that you have to create a dialogue, uh, not one of 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 of, of uh, everyone agrees with everyone else. You're not looking for that. What you're looking for is an honest, well-researched uh, dialogue, debate, discussion, bringing in opposing views, so that again by bringing it to the light of day, everyone can then make their own decisions. That's really what you're talking about. I think it is, and I think it's also a, it's a flow of information. So just like we're seeing in our own supply chain, that you can no longer just think about it as all of these sequential links. You have to think about it as more of an intertwined network. I think it's the same thing when it comes to news and information. You need sort of this constant back and forth and recycling of information and study and discussion in order for the whole group to move forward together. It can no longer be the information starts here, and then in a linear fashion or downstream, that's where the people consume because nothing is getting back to influence that first source, which is important. Okay, so now I've got to ask this obvious question. We're agreeing that you know the, the media and the coverage of the industry has to change, but let's face it, honestly, I would say there's less than 10% of the media uh, venues or platforms, whether it be an analyst firm, whether it be bloggers, whatever else, I'd say there's less than 10% who are willing to, going to the topic of our, our, our point counterpoint discussion, are willing to go beyond uh, the, the, the pre-selection process of listing features, functions, and benefits, and how it fits into the overall scheme of things, and um, you know, covering press releases of new things and responding to that. 
versus actually sitting there and saying, you know, this didn't work here. Why didn't it work here? We have to know about this. I'd say less than 10% of the company will, uh, of the coverage or media will will coverage that latter part, and most of them are still focused on that. I mean, is that a reasonable percentage? I think that it is, and I think the only thing that it maybe leaves out is this notion that because the news cycle has gotten shorter and we're all looking for more immediate, shorter snippets of news, that that is still the only place to go. I think what I find interesting is versus blogs, I mean, obviously, present company excluded, there's still some very good thought leadership going on in blogs, and I would count us both in that. But look right now how many of the leading minds are instead writing books. They're not looking at solutions at all. They're instead focused on the talent development, the market intelligence creation, the strategy formation. You know, you've got Kate Potasek and Gerard Chick and Rob Hanfield and Jonathan O'Brien, right minds. They're writing books in a 140-character world. And I think that's where a lot of the leading information is coming from. I think they've left the solution coverage space behind. You know, now this leads to an interesting point. And this is ultimately the, the, the end conclusion I have. I think gradually over time, service providers, vendors, will become less and less of a factor in terms of where people go for their news and information. In other words, it's almost like melting uh, melting islands, if you will, where those massive or, or large percentage of, uh, of, of media covering that the world like that, uh, their world is going to shrink increasingly. Are they equipped to make the transition to what a Kate Fantastic does, which you or I do, uh, what, what, what Robert, Robert Hanfield does? I mean, you, you never see anything from these individuals about uh, vendors or, 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 or uh, anything along that line. They're talking about the real issues. I mean, are these uh, 90% uh, of, of, let's call them the old school media, are they going to be able to make that adaption or, or, I don't know, adaption or adopt? <laughs> let's say adapt or adopt to this changing reality. Well, I think that's what remains to be seen. So at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the, 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 the press release the press release is dead. It's just a matter of, of, of a, a, almost like an, a, an unconscious reflex because everyone's done that. There's no coverage in terms of what's really happening out in the industry uh, in terms of uh, implementation failures because that goes outside of the mandate of what traditional media has. And even in terms of that realm, taking it a step further, the real evolution of media coverage is ultimately going to look at the, 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 the more, I don't know if human aspect of it, but the more newsworthy aspects of it that really it, technology and the implementation, the vendors and service providers are really almost like an adjunct to, to, to everything, uh, sort of yeah, like so an afterthought. providers that invest in technology to the exclusion of building up their human talent and knowledge capital internally are dooming themselves to very quick irrelevance. So, so companies who are, again, technology-driven and uh, bloggers and, me and, and, and analysts who are technology-focused, uh, they're basically heading for extinction to a certain degree. Unfortunately, I think so. You have to have that knowledge side because that's where you can differentiate. So at the end of the day, we don't disagree here. <laughs> We don't, although every single time we have a conversation, I intend to disagree with you, <laughs> at the end, you draw us together in agreement. So well done once again. 
Well, there you go. <laughs> but now you listeners, of course, uh, we've come to the end of our, 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 our broadcast. You listeners, of course, and, and, and I'm sure, Kelly, you'll agree with this. What we do, and again, our book that's coming out, Procurement at the Crossroads, it's actually going to print, right, over the next uh, week or so, right? It is, 24 hours. 24 hours, it'll be in print. That's always exciting. Uh, it, it, it's, it's a book that goes and will take you in the, into the, uh, I'll give you a look at the industry from angles you've never thought of before. And in fact, it's had an appeal that now has even started to cross-pollinate outside of the procurement world. We've got a great review from Shep Hyken, who is the New York Times bestselling author who wrote the, 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 the uh, uh, what was it, the Service Revolution? I was going to say the American Revolution, but the, the, the Service Revolution. <laughs> the Customer Service Revolution. The yeah. Customer Service, yeah. Uh, anyway, and, and he said from a non-procurement standpoint, this is a must-read book because procurement has been hiding in the shadows for far too long, which I thought was interesting. Thing. But nonetheless, the book will be in print. But as always, Kelly, it, it's great to to get on the air on this informal basis and, and have people sort of eavesdrop on our, our, our discussions. We actually do talk like this on a regular basis. And uh, I look forward to the next, uh, the next point, counterpoint topic. Thank you, John. I do as well. Okay. And, of course, you listeners, thank you for your time today. Uh, as always, uh, I want to remind you that this broadcast, which is live now, yes, I'm here, I feel a pulse, is live now, is being recorded, which means it will be available on an on-demand basis. You can tune into your convenience. It's one of the great, great features of Internet radio, in particular, blog talk radio. Uh, I think I'm getting close now with, with uh, all my broadcasts being well over the 900 uh, error, uh, episode mark. Uh, I think we're going to close in on 1,000 sooner than we think. Um, so to all of you who have been listening, to me since 2009. Of course, I appreciate this, and I hope you like the format of Point Counterpoint. Uh, until we meet again, I remain your host, along with uh, Kelly Barner, uh, John Hansen. Have a great day.